This podcast is sponsored by Yield Prop Shop, your one-stop shop for Disney Parks-inspired signs, props, and much more. Check out their products with the link in the description. When you upon a star. Now we want you to share with us our latest and greatest dream. Disneyland. Just go to Action Park, there's no other park like it. Six Flags Great Adventure. It's not a world away. Paramount's Kings Island. We will officially open Universal Studios Florida. Hello, I'm Michael Eisner. Now, here is your host. Hi, Defunct Land guests. My name is Kevin Perger, and welcome to another edition of the Defunct Land podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Miguel, a former employee of Disaster, a major motion picture ride starring you. But before we get to that, let's check in with last week's guest, Jack from Park Ride History, and see what he is up to. Hey, Kevin, and everybody else, it's Jack from Park Ride History. You might remember last week when me and Kevin discussed some of the upcoming changes that we'll be seeing over in Epcot, namely the implementation of different characters and IPs into that park. I do want to kind of retouch on some of the things from that episode now, just with a little bit more info. For example, at the beginning we briefly discussed Disney's archival process for the parks, and after a little bit more research I have found that they do actually have some of the original pieces of film for a few of the movies used in Epcot. An example of that would be something like Symbiosis from the Land Pavilion. But once again, most of the stuff they have, or at least the stuff they're showing us, is all more of a hindsight decision, and they never really had an active archive. It was mostly stuff they ended up finding later or realizing was important years after an attraction's closure. As for the attractions we discussed, not too much has actually happened news-wise with any of them. The soon-to-be-replaced movie in the China Pavilion is still running, Mission Space managed to relaunch without any issues, and Ellen's Energy Adventure was able to wrap up its final days of operation without any major issues. But besides all that, there really isn't anything to report on that we haven't already said on the podcast, but overall I do think the whole episode was a really fun and important discussion to be had, and I'm glad you guys enjoyed and partook in that same discussion as well. It always makes me happy to see that all of you, no matter what your opinion might be, all actually do care about these parks and want to see them do well in the future, no matter what path they might end up going down. Overall, I think the whole episode and its reception went very well, and I'm really glad to see that. But that's more than enough out of me for right now, so let me just throw it back over to Kevin and let you guys get into this week's discussion. Thanks, Jack. I would also like to mention that I have reached out to an employee of Earthquake the Big One, and there will be an article on defunctland.com with that interview in the near future. Now let's get to our main guest today, former disaster employee Miguel. Welcome. It's been a pleasure to be here with you. How are you today? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Fantastic. I am really happy to be here in this podcast right over here with you in Defunctland. I believe we're talking today about this earthquake and disaster, aren't we? Yes, we are. Uh, we are talking about uh, Disaster, the uh, major motion picture ride starring... Uh, dot 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 you, you. um oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, th- I think i misplaced the dot 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 it's yes you did, yes, you did. oh that was my bad um the <laughs> forgot forgot where the ellipses is um, a major motion di- picture dot 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 starring you well i'm a little bit um fanboying out right now just because uh i've always wanted to speak to someone that has worked on one of the attractions that i talked about and i have a couple of people comment and a couple of people email me say that i've used to work on these attractions but i've never actually got to go back and forth with one and so this is really um awesome for me because and i'm sure a lot of my listeners are going to be really interested to hear uh what you have to say so tell us a little bit just to begin um about your time working at universal studios florida and disaster um i as a matter of fact, Disaster was my first attraction when I started to work at Universal Studios. Um, reason being, when I was working at Disney, 
um, I became a fan of Universal. I became an annual pass holder for Universal and decided to go to the um, old Earthquake ride. I got I, I fell in love with it because I actually was one of the stunt guys in one of the um, scenes there. So I was a volunteer. It was amazing. That being said, um, I... Uh, when I when I went to the Universal and I got hired, they asked me what ride do I want to go at, and I told them, you know what, I want to go to Disaster Studios, and they just got me. So you know what, we have an opening there. Congratulations, welcome to Disaster Studios. It was amazing. Right. So you were never a Lonnie. You were a yellow shirt crew member. Exactly. We were production assistants, if you will. I mean, we I remember all the attractions we deem. So on our case, we were production assistants. Lonnie were actors. And so you would follow Lonnie through each room right you wouldn't stay in one room correct uh there were some people who stayed in one room uh let's say for example the greeter stays outside the clicker which is the one who counts the the amount of people that were going in there which was usually 220 guests um the clicker stays in that's in that room in that first scene the clicker is the one that knocks on the door for lonnie to go out and then the clicker goes out and talks to the guests outside while Lonnie's doing the show because then we have another guy who will be the one following Lonnie. Okay, and so you say 220 guests. That includes all three pre-show theaters and the tram. That's correct. I mean, it's basically the fire cut that they have. It's just 220, and that was the limit. Well, 220 plus Lonnie plus the other team members. So 222. I mean, you said you were there on the last day, correct? You were there on the last day of operation? I was. As a matter of fact, there's a video of me when I, I'm the one, the last one who's saying, okay, everybody, at the count of three, I want you to say, and we are, you say, moving on. And uh, you'll see me in the black shirt because I wasn't dressed in the shirt that day. Closing day, I was not even working at Disaster that day. But because they loved me there, they love what I did, and they know how energetic I can be, I told them, you know what? I want to be there, and I want to do that ending. And they allowed me to do it. That's why I was there. That's awesome. What attraction did you work at after that? Or did you work at another attraction at Universal? I did, actually. After, after uh, Disaster Studios, I moved to Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey, um, just prior to Luis Vielma being there. Um, Luis Vielma, I actually mentioned as a fact that it's going to be, he was one of the unfortunate 49 who uh, sadly died in the Paul's nightclub that night. However, um, I moved to Harry Potter and Forbidden Journey. I was there for over a year. Then after for, uh, Forbidden Journey, I moved to events. So I was an events guide. It was another yellow shirt, but it was a different job. So before we get into our discussion, uh, our main discussion, I want to ask you a few questions. Um, one is, what is your favorite attraction at Universal Studios Florida right now? Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey. That After I moved from Disaster Studios to Journey, um, I fell in love with it. Funny enough, I actually lost weight in that ride because, I mean, you, when you go to that platform, you don't stop you don't stop walking. So it was an amazing experience. Yeah, I mean, you go there walking, like, I want to say maybe five miles every day. And, you know, and I loved it. The whole theming, the whole bringing that magic to the guests, saying, you know, I'm a Ravenclaw, which as a fun fact about that. I, by the time that I arrived at uh, Forbidden Journey, I was the only Ravenclaw in the, in the group because all the uniforms are based on size. So I believe the skinniest people were like Hufflepuffs, followed by Slytherins, Gryffindor, and then Ravenclaw. So I was a big guy. I wore Ravenclaw. In the Harry Potter world, it's not who you are inside that determines your house. It's uh, your shirt size. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, you know, in a way, the sorting hat actually gives us the house anyway, you know, just 
Keep it lightweight, Kevin. Come on, keep it. Shh. Okay, okay, right. Be, be it's a ma- magic. <laughs> it's 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 all it's all in the magic. Uh, exactly. Don't want to ruin the don't want to yeah, ruin the sh- illusion. Yeah. Shh. Okay. Um, what is your favorite um Universal Studios ride that has closed, besides Disaster? I was gonna say Disaster Studios. I know. Oh. Well, of course you were gonna say Disaster Studios. I would. Yeah, I would too, given your position. But <laughs> what is another one of your favorites? Um, honestly, Nickelodeon Studios. Ooh. I would have loved to have the Nickelodeon Studios having the slime thing, you know, there. The way I remember that time that I was there visiting as a guest, I would have loved to have Nickelodeon Studios there. It was a huge memorabilia. Nickelodeon still exists. They should have just kept the contract and, you know, do that with Nickelodeon Studios. Having those shows there, having the volunteers participating, it was amazing. Yeah, that uh, that's one of the most popular abandoned um, of the Universal Studios Florida attractions of course um lots of youtubers have got their way in there now it's completely cleared out there's barely any i think there's maybe one or two stickers on the wall that still say something about nickelodeon but let's move backwards a bit you said you've worked at disney correct what did you do at disney at disney um i actually started at epcot i actually did my college program uh there i was studying in rochester new york and i moved to disney after that um disney i work at the old uh, Kim Possible's World Showcase Adventures, which is now known as Perry the Platypus World Showcase Adventures. The technology is the same thing, but it's just the, the name changed. And the uh, the only difference is that instead of uh, uh, defeating whatever evil character we had on Kim Possible, now we had to defeat Dr. Doofenshmirtz and, you know, anywhere in the in the park, in, at least in uh, the, the, the world's so countries. My God, I forgot already. What was the name of it? Wow. I forget the name of it. Well, it's it's now the Cartoon Showcase, so uh, you can uh, you're you're fine. The World Showcase, <laughs> World Showcase. Sorry, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Let's get into our main discussion today, um, and we have three categories. The way it's set up is we're going to talk about performance, we're going to talk about operation, and we're going to talk about audience. I have a question in each category. Um, my audience has asked many questions, so I'm going to ask you the question. Um, from me, and we can talk a little bit about it. But then after that, I'm just going to read the questions uh, from the audience. I'm going to let you take over. All right. So let's begin um, with performance. Was there uh, ever a point where one of the performers forgot their lines? Uh, Lonnie, um, you've probably observed many different Lonnies in your time. Um, what happened when someone forgot their lines? Um, as I, I want to mention, uh, when they forget the lines, um, <laughs> they actually had to improvise. It's, it's, Every actor in Universal Studios had to have an improvisation point at any moment. They forget the lines. Let's do something that is not offensive, of course, but, you know, at least try to make it funny. Uh, we got some lines that were uh, sarcastic as hell, but the sarcasm actually made the whole thing funny. And, you know, they if they forgot the lines, they just try to just look for a way to just improvise immediately and of course you got somebody in the back just watching that they actually don't go any anywhere over uh board on the improvisation of course just try to get you know you forgot that line let's go ahead and improvise and go backing into the script so there was never really a point where someone uh forgot their line and just sat there for a minute and said um um they they they, they had that ability to just roll with whatever they forgot every single time there was not a moment where Alani could be quiet at all they will look for a way to just say something out of the ordinary it's basically improv show he said no um if you've seen whose line is in any way you know there's not a quiet moment they just literally say whatever first word they can find that's the way it is in, in there in disaster studios 
uh, let's. I'm going to go through these questions from my audience, and I'm just going to let uh, you take them over. So the first one is from Facebook. Mike Castleman says, were there any challenges unique to such a timing-driven attraction as opposed to the standard ride-based attractions commonly found throughout the park? As you know, all the attractions are unique and challenging in their own way. Um, at Disaster Studios, time-wise, we had the challenge that, okay, originally we start at 20 minutes. So every 20 minutes, we were doing a show. When we had more guests, we had to reduce the time to every 15 minutes, every 10 minutes. Uh, it started getting more challenging because we had to do the show every eight minutes. So Lonnie had to just speed up their performance at every eight minutes. You know, uh, Lonnie had to be ready on the, um, on the pre-show, on the door, at uh, the eight-minute count. If it was extremely busy, we were going down to four minutes per show. So you know how fast every performer had to go in order to pick up the actors. And uh, as you know, the scene where they had to interact with Frank and Cade, it's, it's already time, it's recorded. So uh, they had to follow that time anyway. So they had to stall on the first scene with the actors until it was ready. Once they were getting into the doors, the attractions attendant or the production assistant had to open the double doors in order to get the next guest to start the show almost immediately. It was extremely challenging, but hey, we did it. <laughs> the next one is from Evan Freistack. How did you stall the audience if you had too much time left? Or how did you handle situations when things didn't go as practiced? At Disaster Studios, we never had too much time left. We were always on the run. We were always just moving back and forth. We were always moving on. From scene one, when they meet Lonnie, we had to get everybody into those double doors immediately so they can meet them and Lonnie look for the actors. In scene two, we always had to be there to make sure that nobody was sitting there on the bars. On scene three, on the filming side, that um, we had to make sure that we were running um, safely with all the audiences and everybody who was uh, performing with Lonnie and the production assistants and those um, volunteers for the filming area. And uh, then... If something happened to the train, however, uh, we in the control booth, which you can see inside the Embarcadero on the glass uh, panel, um, that's when we had a control as well, and we can stall it for an additional five minutes if something happened to the train. If they go past those five minutes, then a production assistant will go to the microphone and say, hey, guys, uh, just to let you know, Mikey, which is a second unit director, uh, couldn't finish the production. We apologize for it. Please come back at a later time. And basically, they had to do it all over again. And the last one in our performance category is Joseph Pojunas. Butchered that name. Did any audience members ever go above and beyond in their performance? Do you have any in particular that stick out in your memory? Honestly, every audience member goes above and beyond our expectations, whether they're chosen by Lonnie or forcibly picked by Lonnie. <laughs> it has happened. Uh, but when they go to that filming moment, you will never imagine how awesome they are, including grandma. That grandma moment, we never know what we are going what we're going to expect. Uh, we had grandma literally standing up on the cart with the hoe going towards Lonnie. We had a grandma standing up and attacking one of us. I was one of them. <laughs> like, you know, they were like having their fun, especially with the freaking white weapon, <laughs> because that hoe was real. And it's like, oh, my God, we had to just hold her or something. It was fun. And nothing was expected of anybody there. Um, on the green pool area, the, the, the ball pool, 
we got people throwing all those plastic balls all over the all over the stage, and we should have to pick it up. It was just a mess. But hey, we love our job. We love what we're doing. And again, it's something out of the expectation, but it was amazing. So that's it for our performance category. Let's go on to operations. So things that happened uh, with the attraction itself more so than the uh, people that were uh, making it work. And here's my question in this category. Was there ever a point that one of the objects didn't reset uh, between trains? Was this possible? It happened a, a lot of times. Like sometimes even the train that's supposed to collapse with us stays stuck there. Like everybody can see it. It's like, oh, wait, Mikey is saying the train is, the train is coming. No, actually the train is there. Um, or the, 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 the tr you know, when the roof falls down and the truck is down there, on occasions it stays stuck there and the roof is already down on the floor. Um, there were a lot of things there that could, that could get stuck. It's like, ah, oh, I just lost the moment of surprise. The truck is there. Boo. That sucks. <laughs> so so sometimes the truck was already oh, there yeah. when they started going. Because on occasions, when the, when, uh, usually, as you mentioned on the on the video, when the when the tram goes back, um, the whole thing resets within 15 seconds. Um, however, on occasions, one of those things just stop working all of a sudden. Thus, the roof or the uh, the tram just or the train going the other way. Um, something was not going to reset at all, and we had to notify, of course, management. Say, hey. Uh, truck is not moving, or the roof is not going up. So just to let you know, we're gonna lose that you know that surprise moment. The truck. So is there any time where the flood comes in at the wrong time? No, but there there's sometimes when the flood doesn't come at all, and that's another thing. You say, oh, okay, we don't have the water. You say, hey, where's the water? Where's the water? Like, Sorry. <laughs> On to our audience. Mason Roy asks, were there any times when the ride broke down? And if so, did you have to explain to them that this wasn't part of the ride? Honestly, every time that the ride breaks down, we had to do a quote-unquote deeming. Uh, whether it's Disney or Universal, we had to do the deeming. We had to keep playing our parts, if you will. So at Disaster Studios, as a production assistant, we had to let them know uh, the hey, you know, Frank and Cade is having a coffee break or uh, Mikey, the second unit director, uh, hasn't shown up yet or something like that production-wise, doing like uh, this filming excuses, if you will. However, on occasions, we uh, when the ride was breaking down, they set up a group of people uh, with a camera, with a boom mic, with a slate, and we were just gathering people out there in San Francisco area uh, just to participate and they, they, they think they've been filmed, which is a fun thing because I was mostly the director the whole time there. Every time that I was there and the, break, the ride breaks down, it's like, hey, Miguel, I need you down there. Uh, I need you to just go ahead and gather people. And I was the guy who speaks extremely loud. So I was gathering those people. Even managers were like surprised, like, what the hell are you doing? So, well, it's my job. And, you know, they go there, I gather them, say, hey, guys, listen up, listen good. We need actors right now. We need screamers. We need people to say we love Universal and all that stuff, like, you know, screaming and acting and doing whatever. Usually I get the camera, and if I see somebody with the with the stroller, I just go around and say, you know, speed force, take one, and just follow them with, like, a dolly uh, way. It was amazing. 
uh, but it's all about theming. We never say the right the right broke down. It's just yeah, the the production is not available at this moment. But I'm more than happy to assist you to go into any other attraction. And that's another thing that we had at Universal. Another good thing is that if the ride was not properly working, we could accommodate them to another attraction. We call them on the radio, or we ourselves can go to that attraction with the guest and accommodate them to the express line. To the express line. And another question from Evan Freistack. He asks, were cast members allowed to take ride memorabilia home with them after it closed? The answer is no. Um, those memorabilia are sold to the public and to us too. We might get a 15% discount to buy any article, any memorabilia. But yes, none of the um, articles or uh, props that were there, we were able to keep at all. Everything was to stay there. Unless somebody will, you know, just grabbed it and hit it on the pocket or, I don't know, something or took it by accident and kept it. I don't know. Things happened. But on that story that you mentioned, um, that's where you have all the memorabilia, the door, the cow from Twister, the um, things from the mummy, actually, as a matter of fact. You have um, the, the, the frames from Disaster Studios. The shark, I believe, was still there. Um, all these posters, everything. So, but including the disaster logo was there <laughs> and people actually bought it we couldn't keep anything sadly i really wish i could have though real quick before we get to our next questions let's pay some bills by the way did you know that podcast hosting is actually quite expensive anyways i'm glad to have yield prop shop as our sponsor i urge you to go to the link in the description and browse some of their items my personal favorite of theirs is the personalized haunted mansion inspired address sign but they have a lot of other attraction inspired products so go check out the link, and if you buy a product, give them a review and mention Defunctland sent you. All right, on to more questions. And our final category is audience. This is the one that I'm really looking forward to. I really want you to answer this question of mine. Was there ever a guest that you saw too often? Was there a biggest fan of disaster? One that you just like noticed that, like, oh, I know that, I know that guy. He's been here every day. <sighs> yes. Um... We had we have fans in every attraction. We had that one person who loves a certain attraction. We had a we had that a Beetlejuice graveyard review. We had that a Forbidden Journey. We had that a Beetlejuice, uh, uh, The Simpsons, and of course we had one at Disaster Studios who knew every single performer, every single team member there because he just kept writing it and writing it and writing whether the, the, the wait time will be 60 minutes, whether the wait time will be 240 minutes, he will still be there. So shout out to him. But <laughs> it's like, oh my God. I mean, if you work at any job, there's always that person that comes in too often. And it's, it's more interesting when you work at an amusement park because that's not the first thing you think of. Um, someone coming in over and over and over again to an amusement park because that's something that most people do once a year or something. But some people pr have season passes. They probably go all the time. Oh, yeah. The, in, in, not only all the time, but sometimes every single day. I mean, we had one person, and this actually not, not, this, not this related, but Forbidden Journey related. We had a guy who literally rode that ride, I want to say, 110 times in one day. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. I don't know how you, how you do that. Neither um, do I. You had to go through that line, and Forbidden Journey's line is huge. And, of course, Disaster Studios was time, so they know that it runs every uh, either every 20 minutes, every 50 minutes, every 10 minutes, every 8 minutes, or even worse, every 4 minutes. And that's one of the things that was extremely, you know, quick. So let's go on to the questions from my audience. This one comes from YouTube, my favorite username. Mountain Dew Confirmed says... 
the obvious, of course. Did anyone fall in or do anything stupid? <laughs> well, in my experience, nobody fell down, but they did a lot of stupid things, including uh, teenagers, if you will. Uh, they think that because Mikey tells them to scream in the train, scream, scream, they think they can just stand up and do whatever crazy thing they want. Uh, we've seen people literally jump from one bench to the other, from one road to another while the ride is in motion. If that thing happened, we had to literally stop the ride and say, well, sorry, <laughs> the ride is going down, the ride is going back. We had to call everybody, including if they were talking to Frank and Kate or they're already on the filming side. Say, well, guys, sorry, we had to stop it. Um, you know, some idiot decided to just jump into the rows, and it happened so regularly. It was bad. However, jumping into the train, like from the train to the stage, never happened. Thank goodness. Because, I mean, the fire is real. The water is real. You can get burned. You can get soaked. You can get in trouble. You can get electrocuted. And that was, that would have been bad if the control booth wasn't there to just stop or press the red button. Next, from Facebook, Paul Tidd says, What was your worst guest experience while working on the attraction? And what was your best guest experience? Wow, you just hit me there, man. <laughs> you just hit me bad. My worst guest experience uh, was a mother and a son. Uh, mother was in a wheelchair, and son asked me how bad is the train ride. I told him, well, the train has a bom uh, you know, constant bumps and shakes. And they told me, how bad is it? Well, it's pretty strong, though. And so it's because mom was afraid and said, well, if you want to, you can go uh, to the ride and experience it. She can wait for you on the child swap room. Uh, and then if you think it's safe, she can ride it. But then she wrote it. She said she decided to just go in the train with him. When the train ended or the ride, I was, you know, I always end up with a smile. So I said, how was it? Um, the guy literally stood up when they opened the door. He literally stormed out at me towards me to almost punch me saying you know how dare you just put his, uh, his mom in that train ride when that train has a lot of bumps like that and she had a pacemaker i wasn't even aware that she had a pacemaker that was so so bad so she was you know her heart was beating pretty fast because of the bumps and shakes and the guy was literally about to hit me i was already getting ready for it and they had the cameras there just watching what's going on but if, if it wasn't because one of the team leaders was in that train that managed to hold the guy before he could punch me, I wouldn't be just on the floor just bleeding out or something because my hands were always in the back just waiting to be punched in the face. I didn't even, I wasn't even going to defend myself on that part. Although I told him, you never told me she had a pacemaker. And say, so, oh, you think this is funny? And that's when he was about to throw me the punch. Like, oh my God. But, hey, nothing happened, thank goodness. Uh, she's okay, as far as I know. And But, you know, it was a very, very bad experience. I had all the managers, I had the CEO watching the video and saying, you know, Miguel, you did the right thing. You didn't even uh, touch anything or anybody. You didn't deserve You had your hands in the back. We can see everything in the camera. We can see you pointing at the child swap door because I talk with my hands. And um, although it was a bad experience, I was safe from any um, termination or suspension because I had, I had my rights and I was writing everything that I did. On the best guest experience, I was considered the guest service um, representative for Disaster Studios. So I, that was my job to create as many guests or great guest experiences. And I did that a lot. I, a lot of people were liking my job or like, my God, Miguel, you're so energetic. I like it and all that stuff. So honestly, I don't have the best moments because all the moments were fantastic except for that one 
precise bad moment, sadly. Hey, but you know, what we do, we move on. The last question from the audience is from Elise Trilobite. I said that wrong. Were cast members allowed to go off script at all? And if so, were their standards for ad-libbing kept pretty strict? We kind of already talked about this, but were they, uh, were they, how much were they allowed to, I guess? We as team members, we could go off script in a way because we didn't have a script. We just follow a standard operating procedure. Uh, we were just going, you know, theming, saying, you know, we're, we're here working for Frank and Kate. However, if you're talking about the performers, about Lonnie, no, Lonnie's, however, um, are different. They are actors and they are able to go off script, but not as much as you think they would. They are, they, they are supposed to improvise if needed be. Uh, which happen on occasions if, because I mean if you think that maybe a person would get offended for what we say then you know we better stop it and do something different or say something different but funny and it happened to every Lonnie every Lonnie had their own way to improvise things but nonetheless everything is for fun and people were laughing at whatever improvisation we could do uh, that being said we could just go above and beyond and we always had somebody watching the Lonnie's to make sure that they were doing the right thing because otherwise they will be okay you, you just failed this blocking why did you do this why do you say this you know that stuff it's it's a double-edged sword you were able to go off script but you have to be careful on what you say in order to not offense or offend anybody so now that we're out of the three categories i have a couple of kind of final questions i have um one is what was your favorite memory from the attraction my favorite memory of the attraction were the people, the actors, the, the production assistants, everybody. Uh, funny enough, a fun fact about the story, how actually I became a disaster team member. When I was working at Disney, I became an annual pass holder for Universal and decided to go to um, Earthquake when it was the renewed site of Earthquake, uh, where they had the submarine and all that stuff. So I volunteered to be the stunt guy. So I was the one who was falling from the stairway all the way to the floor. And it was a fun experience. Funny enough, the guy the, uh, who was doing the spiel, when I started Disaster Studios, he was my trainer. So it was an amazing experience of having him as, my, as the host of the show that I was in to become my trainer afterwards. And then uh, I wanted to give a shout out to Kenny, Sujay, and Susie, which were my trainers at Disaster Studios. Um, the funniest moment of Disaster Studios for me was basically um, when uh, the scene when they had to talk to Frank and Cade, um, since you know it's actually on a mutant technology, when Frank and Cade throws the paper ball to Lonnie, if the paper ball effect was not working or nobody put a paper ball on it, we had to go literally on the uh, backside and throw the paper ourselves. So, if, you know, maybe we could aim right. We Maybe we didn't aim at all. So, you know, but we were there like, ready, second, ready, 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 aim, throw it. And, you know, sometimes we hit Lonnie's faces. But, you know, <laughs> that's our job, and I love the job. <laughs> uh, so full disclosure to my audience, I gave Miguel some of these questions ahead of time so he got an understanding of what we would be talking about. One question that I did not include, and I'm surprising him with right now after the fact is I want to know your thoughts on Fast and Furious Supercharged, and it's uh, replacing the ride you worked at, um, Disaster. <laughs> okay, okay, surprising enough. Um, honestly, I've heard so many reviews. There are a lot of mixed reviews uh, throughout the Fast and the Furious uh, Supercharged. However, I know the, uh, the one in Hollywood is done throughout the uh, Backlog Tour, 
However, just like disaster is there right now as earthquake, just like Joss was there, all included in the back of the tour in California because uh, the studio is actually smaller than ours. We had a whole um, attraction based on that. So I want to assume that the whole thing will include like maybe um, looking for volunteers, maybe, maybe the same way as they did a disaster, or maybe they will include something within the scenes before going to the ride. So I don't think it's going to be I don't think it's going to be um that different from the tram ride because they're not destroying the building they're just remaking the building inside. Um plus of course you know as you know they did remove Beetlejuice graveyard review to create the queue line that goes from there to now the Fast and the Furious. On that queue that's where the cars will be as far as I know. Okay. Um, yeah, I didn't know anything about the attraction. Is it still going to be simulator-based? Do you, do you know, um, same as in Hollywood, a lot of the, the tunnel simulator? I believe it will be um, because they did that with uh, Kong Island um, at, at Islands of Adventures. So I want to say that it's going to be it's going to be the same screen effect that we see on, on, on Anaheim or California, sorry. Uh, but ours is going to be maybe a little bit bigger. And instead of moving forward, like the tram does in the back of the tour, the, tra the, the car, the train will just reset and go back then. I, of course, lean practical effects as always, um, just because I'm old school. And I don't know your thoughts on the new uh, renaissance of video-based rides. Um, sadly, I want to say I'm as old school as you are. I loved the thrill of just literally going up and down, going sideways, going, doing loops, you know, roller coaster thrill, um, any kind of movements. These screens have been taking over so many attractions. Um, I don't want to belittle any attraction or anything whatsoever, but it's becoming so, uh, so cliche having like, say, for example, uh, Pandora going to Disney, going to Avatar and ride the Banshee, which is basically riding Soaring, if you will. Then you have um, Jimmy Fallon's Attraction, um, which everybody loved the queue line. They love the queue because you don't have to just go into a line. You just sit down in like a studio-like place, and you see hashtag the panda. You see the, um, the, 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 you know, the, the dancing people singing and everything. And then when you go to the Attraction per se, it's just screen. So it's just another, like, oh, well, okay, another screen. Uh, goes with Kong Island, the same thing, another screen, and you see just half of one Kong was before, which I would love to see, you know, full size body Kong, like you mentioned in Confrontation, which is an amazing, amazing, uh, you know, animatronic that we had there before it burned out, sadly. And then you have now the new Super uh, Supercharged Fast and the Furious, which I believe is going to be just another screen right too. It really is getting bad. It's not good. Uh, Miguel, thank you so much for doing this podcast today. Thank you for your time and answering all these questions. I, uh, I got a lot of answers and I just a really great experience talking to someone that had worked on the ride for so long. So I just really want to thank you. No, it was a pleasure to be here as well on the Funkland with you, Kevin. It was an amazing experience. Thank you. Uh, I want to thank everybody who uh, asked these questions like Mike, Kevin, Joseph, Mason, Evan, uh, Paul, Elise, and of course, your favorite, Mountain Dew Confirm. Thank you for all the questions. And uh, yeah, I, I hope to uh, hear from you soon. And uh, maybe we can talk about any other attraction. Let's, let's say, for example, the Kim Possible World Showcase Adventure or any other attraction that you want to talk about. I have actually never heard of the Kim Possible World Showcase Adventure. You so have not? <laughs> I know. I'm not a real amusement park fan, am I? I guess not. The, um, I guess not. Never, 
I, yeah, I, you don't know about this weird, uh, this <laughs> obscure attraction that Miguel worked at. <laughs> yeah, but, but absolutely, if I ever, if I ever get around to doing that, or we could just do a, a special episode on just that um, bizarre attraction there, and we could talk about that. That'd be great. So thank you again to Miguel. Thanks everyone for listening. Don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. And thank you for visiting Defunct Land. Mm-hmm.